If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be all in your head. And here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to what are the benefits and considerations of a fully imagined game? And how do I lean into this play style as a player? And what top tips does a phenomenal theater of the mind DM have for us? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So if you're new to DMing, generally a little bit, and you're kind of getting overwhelmed by the maps, the minis, the books, the gear, and you just want to play some Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> this one is for you. Well, to say that I'm invested in physical maps and minis and digital maps and tables <laughs> would be a massive understatement. If that could do anything for you in the real world, that'd be you'd be set. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to adult, but damn it, do I know how to... Uh... Make believe. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sold on Theater of the Mind DMing until we threw a big 64-player epic in Kelowna about four years ago, and through some wonderful happenstance, some of the other volunteer organizers and the two of us found ourselves sitting at a table playing a celebratory one-shot after the event with, well, who turned out to be the Grand Poobah of Adventurers League for Western Canada and the best Theater of the Mind DM we've ever seen. It was a pretty cool game, especially after floundering through that epic, which we didn't do. <laughs> Went no, super smoothly. <laughs> the epic was awesome. And we've seen other DMs, well, we've floundered with Theater of the Mind. Yeah. It is a tricky thing to get right. When you're used to relying on those aids and you have to all of a sudden step back and describe everything it's a bit of a thing to learn but i do recall that game being particularly effortless despite the fact that i didn't quite understand how the description was just so effortless organic and yeah easy it was and... very freeing as a player to me to just describe what it was I was going to do without having to worry about the math and the trajectory and the, the line of sight, like all of that was just facilitated so effortlessly by our DM. Yeah, there was these bridges that we were running across with all kinds of obstacles from a pit of quippers to pillars and it's falling apart. And if we were trying to run that on a gridded combat, it would have been like, okay, hold up. Let me uh, figure this out. Yeah, and honestly, when, when all of that was presented to me, I I would have told you that there was no way to run that elaborate a combat without a map. I would have just said, like, no, this would be a nightmare to try and figure out <laughs> without some some kind of representation of where things were. Me brain no imagine so good. <laughs> That's literally what, I, what we're here doing. So, getting to who's going to help us with all of this. GM Tim is a game master that's based in Vancouver. And if for some wild reason you haven't heard of him, he's primarily a dungeon master for hire. He hosts the Quests and Queers board game nights. He's a DM and dine dungeon master at both the Stormcrow Alehouse and Tavern, which if you have never been in Vancouver, if you are a D&D player, you must and I, there is, I don't care if you're going to visit grandma, skip grandma, <laughs> go to Stormcrow. Bring her along, Travis. Sure, fine. Don't skip grandma. Sorry, grandma. <laughs> and he also runs Fierce Adventures, which is a monthly live D&D drag show. And is really notable for being one of the remarkable DMs for the yearly D&D &D in a castle, DMing alongside other luminaries like Satine Phoenix, James Intercasso, and so many other incredible DMs. Which, man, that just sounds incredible. The lineup is insane. <laughs> and recently, he's even become an adventure writer. So with all of that out of the way, 
thank you very much for joining us, DM Tim. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So what are you doing right now? Like we, we kind of already talked about all of the different projects, but what is like your favorite of everything that you're involved in right now? Oh, I really do like everything I'm doing and I have some awesome, awesome groups, but my favorite right now is definitely the, the Fierce Adventures drag show. I get to run Dungeons and Dragons and drag and it's kind <laughs> of just, it's just crazy. It's really fun. Like it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's insane. Three drag queens, uh, sometimes four if we have a guest, and we kind of have like a, a, a rotating out. You've also you've seen a drag show, yeah? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what we do is we take the numbers, and rather than just having like a whole bunch of numbers, they'll each do about one. And then what we do is we play the game, and we use the numbers as part of the game. So if they need to have a big like uh, one of them did uh, uh, recently in the March game, they did a trap. A trap came down, and one of them did run with me run away with me and so she literally was running around the whole bar and then <laughs> ran right out the damn door right down the street and there was people walking by like what the fuck? <laughs> and, and like it was it was brilliant like it was just and then so yeah you escaped the trap like no roles you just performed your way right out of it like yes we had someone else one of the other queens uh terrible lady she came and she performed um oh it's a celine dion song Oh, what was it? I cannot remember what the song was, but she she basically like stopped an avalanche with her song. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. God, I want yeah. that kind of so energy. So she's out there and she's like, oh no. Mm -mm. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yes. The, you you move the pool. Like it just moves. Like <laughs> yeah. When you have players that are that invested in the action that they're doing, that they're performing songs, like, Obviously, you give that a pass. That that happens. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> that happened. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. We we do a little bit of a little bit of a secret. We do a little bit of a pre plan, so they'll all know the overall plot because we've only got two hours, right? Yeah. And with songs and with a break, it's actually an hour and a half. So to do an hour game, an hour and a half game, with three players who play, <laughs> God love them, but they they still. Is this the D20? It's like, yes, that's a D20. <laughs> Just roll it, damn it. <laughs> um, it can get a little bit like, oh, man, you need to like... To just roll the dice, please. <laughs> just keep this moving, please. <laughs> so we, we tried it the first few times where I was like, okay, well, let's do some D&D. &D. And I did that on stage and I was like, oh, let's never do this again. Let's meet two weeks before. And here's the plot. <laughs> I need this plot to happen. Everything else you can do it. A, B, C, those have to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, we we managed to get it. It's pretty good now. Uh, we'll go right from one to the other. Everything in between is kind of like up in the air. So it's pretty smooth now, despite its wildness. <laughs> I would say it's smooth. <laughs> 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 no, no, it's good. They're amazing. Yeah. The, all three of them, are like, yeah, we're totally really digging it. Uh, we have fan art for the first time. Like, awesome. we've had fans kind of like, we've got an in-house artist now, which is just kind of really cool. Um, and somebody who's in art school apparently has a big surprise for us for April's show. That's exciting. Yeah. All I know is that we're her final project. Wow. But we don't know what that means, wow. right? So it's like, yeah, so we get to find out in the April show. That's fantastic. Well, props for creating something that's so completely original. Your guys' fans must just love it. They do, and I, I have to, I have to, I can't take full credit. Uh, while I did uh, create what we have here with the Queens, um, it was fully from Queens of Adventure, which is out of the States. And yeah, Matt Baum created that. And we asked them if we could do a Vancouver homage. Um, and they thought that was so cool. They gave us their blessing. Uh, we agreed on hashtags. <laughs> and then, as, as you do. And then, uh, yeah, we've kind of just kind of like become our own thing. We're, we're very much different from their show. Theirs is more focused on the podcast uh, that they do all the time. And it's great. And we're very much not a podcast <laughs> it's like you know, just this live show that's a hot mess every month and it's fantastic yeah well there's something magical about uh having a live show but what kind of made you go down this path of becoming a pro dm like how did you end up here oh okay so quick answer necessity vancouver is expensive 
and I had too many people who wanted to play games and I am bad at saying no. So I kept saying yes. And then I realized, oh my God, I don't have enough time to actually work and play these games. So if I take time off work, I can't run games. I can't pay my rent if I take time off work, right? So I decided, okay, well, um, I'll charge. Right on. So I came up with like a pricing model and I think I'm probably undercutting myself, but I'm fairly confident that I could charge more. And I don't say that out as like, I'm not saying that to be arrogant. It's just like, there are there are more expensive DMs who fully are well within their rights to charge. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was as accessible as I could be for anybody. Um, the way I do it is all my stuff is like starting at. If you're a, a Hollywood star and you're like, hey, I'd like you to run a game. I'm like, okay, it's going to be more than $15. <laughs> it's yeah. a, like, I know you can afford it and it's going to be like a thing. So You don't want anyone to ever have to think about that when they're wondering if they should get you to run their games. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, so, so I, I try never to like really worry about it. It's more of just like, here's what it is. And if it's really something, then we'll work on it. But I mean, I've never had anyone complain yet. I tried to base everything off of like movie prices. So how much is it to go to a movie? Yeah. Yeah. It's about 15 bucks just to get in. Actually, it's more than that now. And then you have popcorn and then you have pop. And now it's like 30. Same thing with every time somebody looks at a, at a DM's book or a player's handbook and they're like, oh my God, that's so expensive. It's like, yep. Still cheaper than two of you going to a movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> and that's only two hours of entertainment. This is going to give you decades. <laughs> yeah. This gives you as much you know, as you like, want. There's no end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's go over to the strategy stateroom and we'll talk about your DM style. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right. So, in this one, again, we're going into the theater the mind because tim do you run that exclusively now no not anymore oh so i no i've I've got a group that really wants to use the maps on roll 20 so we're starting to use maps right on that's one out of many though so (laughs) yes let's say yes (laughs) (laughs) well that's what you you strongly prefer that i do very much so yeah so the person who's like my Yoda, he's like my gaming guru. He taught me everything I know. He'd like bow down. He was <laughs> he was theater of the mind almost exclusively. So he'd have like a notebook and he would just like, okay, this circle right here, that's the dome. Here's the ring. This is where you need to, and there you go. Boom. And then like middle initials. And let's say it's like uh, 500 feet across. Great. Now we have kind of like a picture in our head of what it is and that's all we needed, right? So that's as much mapping as I've ever done. And then I got to like fourth edition and it's like everything was very much, no, if you don't have that grid. (laughs) This isn't going to (laughs) work. This isn't going to work. So we played and it was like great, but tedious. Combat in fourth was long. (laughs) Um, So I guess I did run it in a bit for fourth because you had to, right? But when they dropped the concept of needing that grid and being able to like, put yourself on the image and just kind of go with it. Um, I ran with it. I'm better with it. I find that map games lose their D and ness and become, it's like final fantasy versus final fantasy tactics. Yes. They might be the same world, but they're not the same game. And no matter how much you play them, you will not get the same experience playing them. So I, I, I don't diss one over the other, but I definitely prefer one over the other. I'd much rather play Final Fantasy than I would play Final Fantasy Tactics. I suck at Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> maybe that's why Maybe that's why I don't like it, because I can't look at a map and go, oh, I should move my army over here. It's like, no, I'm like, ooh, look at those pretty characters. Let's look at them. Oh, damn it, I moved it. Where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> so you pick up minis too much. That's the real reason. Oh, God, it's horrible. <laughs> ooh, you painted this? Damn, where was I? I don't know. This is really good (laughs) i mean it affects the creativity of everybody basically is what you're saying like it takes you out of that tactical mindset how does that really affect the way everyone's thinking at the table Mm, because you can plan it if i can see from a bird's eye view my life right now i would behave very differently i'm very sure every single moment of every single day than i do Interesting. Because I'm constantly able to see everything that I do. So I'm not actually living in the moment. I'm living in the what now. In a D&D game, I find that if it's if it's a map-based game, your characters don't do as many risky things. They're always trying to think of the math and the best possible scenario rather than 
hey, what can I do next? What do I need to do? My character's in danger. I don't, if I can see, if I can see that there's gaps on the map between monsters, I'm going to move through it. But if I'm being narrated to, and I'm describing the room and the combat properly, I can be able to say, you cannot get from A to B without without getting too close to somebody to attack. Or I'll say, yes, you can. And here's the path you've got to go. If you look at it like real life, you want your characters to really kind of like, you want your players to dive in. And, and me as a DM, I really want to like invest in my bad guys. I don't want my bad guys looking at a map, especially bugbears or goblins, right? Like, I love my goblins. I, I, I'm writing, I've written a goblin adventure, for God's sakes. It's like you play goblins and they dumb. But they awesome, right? Like, and 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 they they don't they would never think like, oh, maybe I could move over here and attack that. They're like, no, I, I kill you, right? Like, and they just go for it. Yeah, so they're not going to stress about about making sure that they can be five feet away, right? You need to make sure that you say that. I've got a glaive. I'm going to go five feet away and I'm going to glaive them, right? Like, it's like, yeah. I find that theater of the mind allows you to have more investment, at least as a DM. I would say as a player, but for me, I prefer as a player and I'm able to ask Q questions to like get a little bit more, right? Not, not all DMs are good at doing it or, or feel comfortable doing it. And that's okay. And, and maps are okay. There's nothing wrong with them at all. I just, that's why I prefer theater of mind better. I find that it's a better investment in the actual story of the game. And I find that my players are able to deliver more things that help me continue the game as a feed the DM scenario, because mm. they'll do something that's really silly or they'll roll a one. And now they have to describe what just happened rather than looking at the map and trying to come up with something or a 20 and doing the same thing. Right. So your narration comes from their mind rather than just yours. Absolutely. Are there like certain questions that you ask when you're doing that, that kind of get those answers that you're looking for? Oh, if it's a one, it's more like, <laughs> what are you doing now, sucker? <laughs> like, um, it's more like scenarios where, well, let's use area of effect spells. I, actually, I can use a sleep spell. I have had players be separated and they know they're separated in their theater of their mind. And one of them, you know, the wizard in the back, oh, I'm going to cast sleep. I'm going to get them all. I'm like, yeah, all of them. Are you sure you want all of them? Yep. Okay, you're gonna hit a couple others. If, like that means these guys too. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna wait. What you know, like so you you need to make sure that you describe enough so that you don't trap the other players in, right? But you don't want to necessarily give it a, like it can't be too easy, right? So you do things like, well, you can get two of them just on their own, but if you want to get all five, <laughs> you can totally do that. But it might hit your 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 two of your characters as well. Oh but I could get all five, you know, like, you know, <laughs> I always have like a, like a paladin, do it. I can take the fireball, right? It's like, yeah, you can, you sucker, right? Like, <laughs> so you just, That's you awesome. just, you just narrate kind of what you need to be able to move things around. My weakness was always to, to go to like a movie. So I would, I would take a movie and I'd say, do you remember this scene where, and I'd sort of like say, envision that scene. But that's kind of like a cheat. And I didn't realize that until just recently. One of my one of my tables is like, okay, so this year we're trying this because we're doing different things every year. And this table, we did goblins all last year. And this year we're doing an Eberron anthology where we're playing a whole bunch of different characters through the year. And then we're tying them all together in one big, like, long arc that goes over the story of the course of the year. So we're doing that. And my my challenge from them was that I'm not allowed to use any movie or TV references at all with them this year. So I'm having to actually like describe everything as I go. I've, you should see my phone. It's got constant like bookmarks of like uh, how to describe the mundane without making it important. I'm like, yes, <laughs> right? like, <laughs> you don't want them focused on that damn bookshelf that you mentioned because it sounded really cool. You're just trying to make it part of the vision, right? So it's now it's trying to like find that happy balance of like not too much of Chekhov's gun and a little bit more of just here's your environment, right? So. Yeah, it's actually affected my game writing too because I'll I'll make sure that I throw a lot of notes in now with my like stories, like here DM, think about this. Like, here's, here's a little tidbit that I you know, might help you run this better. Yeah, I, I enjoy that challenge. It's been hard as hell, and and there are days when I'm like, <laughs> 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 but for the most part, it's pretty good. 
I've only I've only done the. Do you remember that scene where and then they kind of like uh, uh, I'm like yeah never mind. <laughs> Let me try and describe it to you. <laughs> so there is a truck driving down the road. And it's, it's, yeah, it's cool. Well, as far as things that uh, listeners can take away from this, it sounds like unless you're being challenged to not use movie scenes, that's a great way to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> using movies it's rare that there are scenes in things that we have not seen right so so movie and tv culture is so pervasive now and that's like totally a good thing i don't mean it in a negative way but you can actually take shots even if they have not seen it if you have that mind's eye you can now describe what you're looking at right you've got that visual already you don't have to go rifling through trying to find it so by recreating it you kind of create like a mental telephone We've all played, have you played Telestrations or Telephone? Yeah. Right. So what you draw and what I draw are going to be very different things, right? Even though we're supposed to be drawing the same word. So when you're describing something from a movie, it's going to be the same way. We could all three of us look at one shot and have to describe it. And it will be a different thing every time, right? Like it's pictures worth a thousand words. I don't think that meant that you can describe it with a thousand words. I think that meant it's (laughs) like one of those eye of beholder type things, right? Like. Yeah. No matter who looks at it, you can you can you can find something different out of it rather than just a sentence being a sentence. It sure can be challenging. I know what you mean by it, like the struggle of finding the way to describe scenes briefly enough. Because yeah, like <laughs> yeah, man, when you start dragging on, you realize that <laughs> you're nobody's paying attention to you anymore. They're just waiting. <laughs> yeah, when you see that one dude at the far end of the table start to roll his dice into his box <laughs> on his own, it's like, oh, I've lost them. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's just get on. Look, a monster! Surprise! Right? <laughs> let's get stabbing. Or, yeah, or hey, you find a trap door. Ooh, oh, where, 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 where is the trap door? Yeah, it's right by that room I just described. Oh, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you missed the trap door. Too bad, huh? <laughs> it's like, you go through the room? Well, I said it was full of lava, so that still applies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can still do that. It's going to hurt, though. <laughs> How does that apply to, like, explaining scenes? Do you feel like the doing... Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you can do it. What's the what's the play style? What's wrong with my brain? <laughs> Theater of the Theater mind. Theater of the mind. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my god. Uh, I hope you leave that in. <laughs> oh, I totally will. Especially after we were just discussing disca- de- descriptions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't even watch this yeah. this go down in flames. <laughs> so when you are describing theater of the mind kind of scenes uh do you feel like it allows you to do kind of grander bigger more exciting fantasy like higher fantasy simply because you're able to do that with words rather than find you know visual representations of them in terms of maps or drawing it out or anything else like that maybe I tend to I tend to like that kind of fantasy anyways. So I love the big grand fantasy battles. I love the no battles, just the big kind of like like I love the the you walk through a valley and as you do you come around a corner and everything is just dry and you see two statues 300 feet tall. One looks like it's praying, the other one looks like it's holding its hands out to stop. Both have calm looks on their faces, right? Like, and you're like, ooh, where'd these come from? And you carry on, right? And you just like drop that little tidbit of stuff in. And, and then for me, it's because I have <laughs> I have all these like every day I go through like different shots that I find online and I just kind of like grab them like I want this. One of my favorite backgrounds is like a castle sitting on a rock and the castle has like the cathedral coming down from the bottom of the castle and the castle grows up from it hangs out over top of a cliff and there's like a large ocean around it and it's like you can see windmills and you can see a town kind of growing on the cliffside but no one ain't no one getting up that castle cliffside right and it's like that's just such a cool damn image that i have to find a way to use these things so trying to come up with ways of describing them is just fun right and the fact that i just said cathedral and then a castle on top both of you kind of like got the smile on your face and you're like i can see both of you have an image in your head even if it's not the same one it doesn't matter that's i think my favorite part about theater of the mind is it it's so personal no matter what i describe to you unless i go into intricate detail 
and even then, right? Like I can say even it's brown. Okay, well, what shade of brown? I could say it's taupe, and all three of us could pretend we know what color that is. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> right? Like it's like, like, oh, okay, it's taupe. But it, it's like it, there's all these sort of elements that go into it that when you perform within it as your character, the minutia doesn't matter to the point where, like, unless it does. And then in that case, it was up to me to make sure I mentioned it, right? Like, if I need you to go to that windmill, that's where you start, right? Like, I can't just describe it. If it's just for, like, image sake, then just toss it in there. But if yeah. I need that thing to be thing, then I have to take us from that castle I started with, and I have to move us over to the windmill. And then that's where I have to end. And then you start in the windmill, right? Like, that's that's how you kind of do it. You like Like telling a story. You just bring them from where you need them to go to where you need them to be. Yeah. I think that's super powerful because I imagine a much more vivid windmill when you say a windmill rather than if I see, you know, like a from above shot of a windmill on a map. Yeah. Yeah. I can do like, if I prefer low fantasy, I'm picturing a very different windmill. Like <laughs> yeah. unless you go into a ton of like I'm playing Vikings and you're playing Final Fantasy, like, but we're both doing that in our own heads. Yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of cool part about Theater of the Mind that I've always loved. Then there's where it can be like go bad. So you have a bad night, or you're tired, or it's just like, so there's a castle on a rock, there's a city next to it. Carry on, right? Like, okay, Tim, right? Like, great. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you for this wonderful description. I am going to go to the castle. No, I need you to go to the wind. I, I didn't remember a windmill, but okay, I'll go to the windmill. You know, like, <laughs> it's not for everyone. And I get that. I totally understand why people want to use maps, um, especially for combat. Combat with maps is so much easier, but just, I find it just such a different experience. And I'll use maps. I'll use maps. I'll use images. I'll use pictures. So I'll, I'll, I'll like present something to somebody and be like, you know what, this is where you are tonight. Cause some pictures just do it so much better. Right. Like there's, and especially if that's your inspiration for your game that night, like then just use an image. One of my favorites is this dude or the, I'm um, not a dude. Well, yeah, I love that one or the meme with the dude, the barbarian riding with owl bear. God, I love that shirt. It's so good. <laughs> um, but it's, it's the, there's a, there's an image of an owl bear charging in through bushes and it looks angry and like charging at you, but it's also like, very much there's so much you can do with that shot like it's it's is it angry is it protective is it coming in is it is it fleeing from something like there's so many things you can take from that one image and then just use it and have the players like this is what you see coming at you <laughs> they're like oh god right like yeah and those are great like those action pictures are great because sometimes when you show those static shots of the monster it's not very powerful or intimidating Terrifying. yeah it's just like this is what it looks like if it was grazing but it's not grazing <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah it's a motherfucking owlbear it's coming for you you touched its chub it's coming for you <laughs> <laughs> you touched its chub wow. oh yeah that's a, ba a baby owlbear okay okay sure you, you didn't know that, did you? I did not. You're, you're, I, I see you looking at the monitor like, oh, God, what is he talking about? <laughs> no, no. This is this is, this is a baby owl there is a chub. Good to know. I'll work yeah. that into my next game for sure. Please do. And also, you're welcome. Thank That's, you. <laughs> you will get many a look when you describe that. <laughs> oh, you know it. So if we're trying to get folks to try this out to try out theater of the mind if they're kind of entrenched in maps and physical objects and all of that kind of stuff how do we help players kind of make the most of this play style do you have any tips for players who are sitting down to try theater of the mind or um they just want to add a little bit more to that how do we make it more approachable so for the dm players it would be the rule of 20 and 40 so i love the rule of 20 40 so 2040 is, okay, let's, let's do a scenario. You, us three right now. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, so you've, so what's your characters? Give me a quick, just a quick, they're a racing class. Goliath uh, fighter. Great. A Goliath fighter. Deep gnome monk. Great. Awesome. Okay. So deep gnome monk and a Goliath fighter. What weapon do you use fighter? Uh, a large, yeah, big two handed hammer. A hammer mall. One yeah. of the malls. Yeah. So do you have reach or is it just a five five footer? It's just a five footer. All right. Okay. So you guys are you you two are going through this this cavern. 
and you come down and you see and you see a rust monster. It's ducked down in the corner uh, and it looks like it's munching on somebody. You were sent down here to find a friend of yours who had gone off uh, spelunking. And uh, and now you, now you think you think that rust monster is munching on his armor, and then you hear, "Oh my God, help! But don't just stand there looking at me." So you're each forty feet away. How far can you move? I can move forty feet as a monk. I can move. 30. Okay, exactly. So I know that I have at least two rounds before you are both next to me. Now, if I need to go faster, or if you're an area of effect person, twenty feet. It's 20 feet space. Mm. How far? 20 feet. How far is this? 40 feet. How far is that? 20 feet. How far is that? 40 feet. Always 20, 40. It's fast. It's quick. It gives you an image and allows me to control the space that I need. That's awesome. That's That's brilliant. Oh, man. For the people that think it's going to be so complicated, like trying to figure out all the math without the maps. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and both of you understood exactly what I was saying. You knew that you knew that as soon as I said forty feet, the fighter was like, "Okay, two rounds, so I'll have to dash to get there." Yeah, or I'll have to figure out a ranged weapon. And the monk was like, "Damn, yeah, I can get there." <laughs> but if you get there and I throw something else at you, now you're on your own. This thing, right? Yeah. And if the wizard is like, "I'm gonna throw sleep," okay, well, twenty feet, you're gonna hit your monk now because he ran up next to it. Oh, I'm going to do it just on the 10 feet. Yeah, but there's a wall there. Sorry, you can't go through the wall. Oh, right? Like, so there's all these sort of things you can do to like not manipulate. Well, yeah, manipulate. But you want to be fair too, right? You can do it sometimes where it's like, okay, here's a forced one. I need this to be difficult. So I'm going to make that terrain difficult terrain now. Now, each of you will take two rounds to get there. Or one full round double move. Yeah. Right? So now I know, but I also have to keep my monsters that way unless I'm using burrowing. And now I know it's going to be a more difficult combat because now I'm going to have that monster burrow, have the two of you cream your pants as you're like, oh my God, where is it going? Oh God. And then I'll have it come up right in between the two of you, right? And I don't need to put it on the map. I can just say it shoots up right in between the two of you and it attacks both of you. One attack on each. No, right? Like, yeah, gotcha. Right? <laughs> like, and... and <laughs> And now, now I know, you, then you say it. So I was, okay, you're each flanked with this thing. So you're each on either side. So there's no way for an area effect to hit only the creature. Um, um, and you can say that. You can say those things when you're describing a combat encounter. You don't need to think in five feet. So you can just say, okay, well, here it is. I need. I want to do ranged. Great, it's 20 feet away. It's through foliage. Oh, okay, well, I'll have to move in. Yeah, it's about five feet. You can get in there and let it loose. But if you're going to shoot from here, you know, like, or again, 40, 20, right? 40 feet, you're not going to be able to get it. 20 feet, you can totally get it, but now you're exposed. But I don't want to be exposed. Well, that's what the map is. Like, I mean, if I put down a map with a forest, it's 40 feet. 20 feet of it's forest, 20 feet of it's clear. It's going to be the same thing. You're just seeing it and able to think ahead. Now you have to think as your character in the moment with this rust monster coming at you. What are you going to do? I love that it's there's so many like A, B choices in that too. Because it's not like I have to think about which bush I want to go behind and slow down the game with that. It's like, do you want to be behind a bush or not? Okay. Exactly. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do the hind of the bush. But, yeah. uh, you know, like there might be a, I don't know, the bush might be really small. It might be the only bush, uh, especially underground, right? Yeah, you're underground. You're in, you find the bush. Well done. No one else can hide there. You're hiding there. The magical underground bush. Right. right? <laughs> well, you guys, you guys watched Corner Gas, right? That was one of the best scenes when the cop was like, where are you? I'm behind the bush, the speeding bush. And it just shows the wide (laughs) image. And all you see is a single bush and just fields everywhere. And this big ass white cop car behind the bush, right? Like, That's great. Good job. (laughs) Somebody rolled eight on their hide. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that you can just modify the stakes almost at will as the DM in that scenario too. Like you don't have to stick to the rules you've already established necessarily. You don't want to get crazy with it, but. No, 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 exactly. But that's the whole idea. Well, so the reason I do it is because um, I don't fudge my dice. I always roll out in the open and I'll keep track of monster hit points. And they just start to roll crit after crit after crit. And it's going to ruin the scenario by just one shotting it. Instead of worrying about hit points, I'll worry about rounds. I need it to go this long to scare this much to do this much. That's great. (laughs) Anything that can take away from what I'm thinking about as a DM is magic. So Yeah, just kind of like cut out what you need. And just to, to take all of that energy that you're usually 
putting towards keeping track of turns and rounds and hit points and all of those things and move them towards uh, using evocative language where you can say, people are here, this is what's happening, I'm describing the drool coming down off of this monster's mouth rather yeah. than worrying about, yeah, all of the other minutiae that really doesn't provide a better experience. Yeah, yeah it does. As a DM, make sure that rust monster... So uh, it's on each of your characters. On my notes, I have to make sure that I write down your names. So I remember that that rust monster is either next to you or attacking you or slow because you don't have those visual cues now. So I have to make sure that I remember who skeleton A is being hit by and or fighting with, right? So I'll often write names down on it and I'll be like enchanted or feared or whatever. And it'll write it in little letters up top above. And that way I can keep track because I, I, I did it before where I'd try and just wing it. And it was just, it's too much. And if and if you lose too much of that, like, oh yeah, you were supposed to hit this guy and you kind of moving hit points around because you forgot, it ends up becoming kind of less of a, less of an invested game. Yeah. Mm. Let's say you have some new players uh, or newish players that maybe have been used to playing with maps and things like that. Tactics. How do you help them? kind of get into the headspace of playing theater of the mind assuming they want to of course because that's the first kind of hurdle you don't want to be trying to force them into it sure no no at, at all of my games um i make sure everyone understands i'm a theater of the mind dm for you no hard feelings but this won't work for you and that's fine um i'll try and help them find somebody who is and that's totally great for players who are like wanting to get into it i think for me as a dm my easiest way to kind of like ease them into it is is what's the kill shot look like mm -hmm. every time a player kills a character or a monster in my games that question is asked and every every time and even if it's even if it's a quick sentence of oh i just run them through like that's fine you still describe that and we all know what that still looks like right even if again i say run them through and you both have an image of what that is right and you can make it as disney or as game of thrones <laughs> as you want it to be in your own head right yeah but getting the players to like actually describe their moments, um, I always get them to describe their 20s. And nice. I will often try and get them to describe their ones. But it's kind of like a hit and miss. I use ones the same way other people use 20s. For me, a one is celebrated in an opposite direction. <laughs> so if your character came down and you're both trying to figure out what that monster is, and you rolled a one, that ain't no rust monster. That is one hell of a fluffy little bear. It's just a funny looking dog who has no hair. And you just need nothing more than to make that dog yours. And now you play into that, right? No one else can roll that check because, because your character did it. So there's no reason for them to roll. If you'd succeeded, no one else would roll, right? Yeah. So if you failed, no one else gets to roll because there's no reason for you to do that. That rust monster is now a dog with mange and it's going right. to be your newest... Puppy. Yeah, and you just need to like pet it and hold it and hug it. Oh, you're gonna lose the <laughs> off your armor. Oh, that face. But you love that rust monster, right? Yeah. I've had ones turn a cockatrice into a goblin mount. I've had ones turn. Yeah, right. It was awesome. <laughs> I've had ones turn a flump into a ridem cowboy in the air. I've had ones turn rotten cowboy in the air means. So so they flump. literally turned a they literally turned a flump into a bucking bronco, but it, because flumps hover, it was in the air. <laughs> I've had ones kill a character, but do it in such a way that introduces the next one. Um, so it's and and the players have to like we all agree that it's part of your session zero, right? You don't have to do this. You can have a one just be a miss, right? Yeah. And even on a skill check, uh, if if a twenty is rolled and somebody still rolls higher than that twenty rolled, that twenty gets different information or uh, like something kind of like maybe special information that is related to but not necessary for the for the roll. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Because just because you rolled a 20 and a 1 in 20 chance doesn't mean that somebody who's better at that skill should be counted less, right? So here's your uh, information for getting high on the skill. Here's your 20 awesome information that also has to do with the skill, but isn't the check you made. Yeah, very good. So I'll try and do that too. But getting the players to describe those 20s 
allows them to start doing their own theater of their mind, whether they realize, especially the describe the kill shot. Like, oh yeah, yeah. When I have a player who's like, yeah, I just I just get up there and, and <laughs> like stands up and swings his sword in the air, even though there's no sword, and they're like, yeah, I got him. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Kicked his butt. It's so wild to think about how it's so amazing that we can create that reaction from people with nothing. <laughs> just know, right? That's like, so great. It's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. But it's it's not with nothing. We all man, it's just pretend. We're doing make believe. We're just adults now, so we can use meta jokes, right? Like that just, <laughs> just makes it funnier, right? Like if you really want to have fun and screw with your table, add a timer every time they go into combat. Oh. Because now you don't have time to sit there and as a group go, oh, well, we should go around this guy like this. We should come over here and we say, oh, my God, let's get him from behind. <laughs> Look, this base over here is totally available. It's like, no, just uh, you guys have three minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Three minutes, 55 seconds. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guarantee those rounds will be so quick for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to get things moving. Yeah, that's a problem sometimes. You obviously have so much more wisdom to dungeon mastering other than just theater of the mind. But I think one of the things that I really liked about the interview that I listened with Sly Flourish was that you are constantly learning new things about DMing. Oh, man, always. Which I really respected because some people kind of get complacent. They say, like, I'm a great DM now. I'm good to go. <laughs> no. I fully acknowledge how privileged I am. I, I mean, I get to... I get to, guys, oh my God, I get to run Dungeons and Dragons in the fucking castle. Like, yeah. oh my God. That's, <laughs> that's mental. Like, it's just, I can't, my, I still, I still, like, somebody be like, yeah, you're D&D in a castle, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm totally like the new kid who comes in and is like, <laughs> right like you gotta be careful you don't giggle all the time right like it's like oh man it's just nuts so if i'm getting to do these things i can never i can never stop i i can't if i do then i'm going like fully fully acknowledge this is like <laughs> deep moments with tim this is my own imposter syndrome like i totally when you guys were like even even when we were talking today about kind of like what you want to talk about and some of the intro and you're like the greatest i'm like no <laughs> no, no please don't do that <laughs> i'm getting hives right like <laughs> and i know i'm good at what i do because i wouldn't be doing the things that i'm doing if i weren't right so i have to own that as well uh, i never want to be the best okay i always want to have space to go it's such a cheesy quote, but it's God's honest truth. If you're not green and growing, you're old and rotten. And I never want to be anything but green and growing, especially in D&D, because I, I decided I decided that I'm going to be a, when I'm in my like, when I'm in my 80s, I'm going to get off my lawn or it's going to be against get off my lawners. Like, I just don't ever want to be like, get off my lawn, except to people who are saying, get off my lawn. Right? Like, <laughs> No, you get off the lawn and stay <laughs> off it, you damn bastard. Open your mind. So if if, if I want to be like that, I have to own all of it. Yeah. So that means that I can never know everything. So that's that's how I look at it. Like when I go to these cons and I see all these DMs with all these wide styles. Man, one of the other DMs at the castle brings maps and like full-on models. We have model terrain brought in for us and the other dms i'm one of the only dms who doesn't use it all the time right so i'm really trying to up my game like how can i use it more how can i invest more and we even do like joint games where we'll like bring the groups together we put them in an arena one year and they have to fight each other it was so much fun oh, cool. but the the map allowed them to like see what there was happening right it was a different style of game so there's always a room to have a map and there's always a space to have theater of the mind especially when you're taking them into the rooms that they're actually in right like let's go to the actual cathedral and run the shot in the cathedral right like so now you can say this is what you see look around you you are right now in that space right so when you get to do things like that taking it from that and being like okay how do i make sure that this is at my table from now on i think that really affected me on like running my games and i think in the last two years especially 
I've gotten better at being able to describe these scenarios because I can I can visualize now, and I've always had a problem with that, like what I'm doing, right? I'm I'm a I'm a distance a problematic distance person. So if you say, oh, it's 20 feet away, I'm like, great. I know by math that's two and a half me's, but I don't <laughs> know more than that, right? Or three and a half me's, right? But I like, I don't know I don't know what that looks like. And especially when people are like, oh, it's a football field. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> like, okay. So I know it's big. <laughs> All right. Now what? Right? Like, it's like multiple so my houses. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still, you see multiple of your houses and you're like, like, can you see that? Yeah. Right? Like, I yeah. can't see that. So using the distance always threw me off. So even for a map, when it's like, this is 20 feet away, I'm like, I, I, I don't see it. So, so starting to get to that point where I can actually start seeing these things is, is kind of cool. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's hop into our last segment where we can talk a little bit more about you. And we call that one the Hero Stage. This is the Hero Stage, where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives. So I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to make a statement. I think you have a terrible poker face. Oh, it's the worst. Because, you know, when you say that you should be giggling all the time because you get to play D&D professionally, I was going to say your photos from D&D in a castle, like everyone is trying to be a little bit more cinematic, a little bit more stone-faced, and then there's Tim in the back, just like at 11. (laughs) So... I look like a damn Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're certainly the most entertaining of uh, of that group. So can you tell us a little bit more about like, what what was that like? What was the experience of D&D in a castle? And how did you get into that? So getting into it, with the first year they did it, it was a it was a pipe dream. And they, the organizers had posted on a on a D&D organizers site, like so like a con site not a fan site so mm-hmm. this is where organizers of cons go they went on and and posted a we're looking for professional dms to do a thing um, not a con need some advice need some help finding diverse people i'm like well i'm super gay and i'm i'm doing this stuff and i have all these contacts let me help you however i can so uh i just gave them i gave them connections to james intercasso and and I gave him like 20 lists of 20 names, Satine Phoenix and uh, Strix and uh, as many women. And I think James was the only white guy, <laughs> as many women and queer people of color that I knew that I could find. And I gave him a list of about 20 people. I got in touch with everyone and I said, here's your interview you want to ask. Here's your, here's your cover letter. And I contacted everyone in advance. I said, apply to this position. Here's the thing that they're going to do. This is the stuff that they're doing. And then I said, good luck. Let me know how it goes. And they kept me in the loop and they started to find more people and the names just got bigger. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Wow, Jeremy's going, holy shit, this is awesome. And then they're like, hey, we want you to come. I'm like, excuse me while I throw up a minute. Sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they decided that I had done such a at at putting all that effort in without expecting anything just to make sure that the event was successful and diverse and, and good. Um, they wanted to bring me along and give me a table. So it was going to be one of the backup tables, and then somebody left, and then they gave me a full table. And I did a good enough job that I ran a, I ran an adventure for 30 people at that night, at that, that first year. Wow. So we did like a weird mix of D&D and live action. It was, it was nuts. It was in the kitchen of the original kitchen of the old castle. So it was like early 1800s kitchen. And we did like a... Almost like a pseudo LARP, pseudo D and D. So everyone had a class and a role with a bonus of two. So you're the rogue, great. You can stealth plus two. You're the paladin, great. Zone of truth. You're the fighter, great. Hit plus two. And then we just kind of like everyone had their own dice. And then we just I still kind of blacked out. I pulled a story out of my butt. I grabbed all the other DMs and forced them all to like do a different role. And as I went to the, through the adventure, I was like, okay, here, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And at the very end, um, the game even changed because of the way the players were like interacting with it. So I had to like come up with the answer on the fly and it was like totally out of my ass. And I 
fully admit that, but it was amazing. And yeah, that was that was one of my highlights. Right on. Yeah. That's right. They had, they'd asked a whole bunch of people to run a game, but it was a whole bunch of different people asking a whole bunch of different people to run the game. So I get down there and it's player chaos as it is when all the players go off to ask a different DM to run the game, right? So the DMs are kind of like, oh, they asked me, oh, they asked me, oh, oh, there's 30 of them now. And I'm like, all right, you bastards, this is what's going on. What are you playing? <laughs> so they're all like, they stop and listen. I'm like, oh, shit, what did I just do? <laughs> that was cool. Right on. How did you get your start? in D&D like what was your origin story because everyone always has that like my first interaction and you know what's that what was that like for you I don't remember oh really yeah really um I know that when I was a kid or in school when I was in high school I played the Marvel the Marvel role-playing game I was Spider-Man and I remember that we played in the band room and then I remember playing Middle Earth roleplay and I remember playing Macross, and I didn't actually play Dungeons and Dragons until fourth edition. And I started getting the books at 3.5 because I really, really, really loved Eberron. I really loved Eberron. As did many so of I us. I still have a bunch of the Eberron splat books from 3.5. I use them, they're so good. So I have those, and I and that was my first kind of like, okay, maybe I'll give this DD thing a try. <laughs> like I, through the aughts, I played nothing but Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Stargate, all the stars. Played all the stars. <laughs> and I didn't run anything until Star Trek Last Unicorn Games. That was my second time running a game. My first time was Middle Earth Roleplay. And there was a game, there was an adventure module that one of the other players had bought to run and then decided they didn't want to. So I'm like, I'll give it a go. So we ran it and it was horrible. It was horrible. Like the game was great. And I remember it was just not good. Like it was just like, Oh, I have so much to learn. <laughs> you, you, you know, like, you're just not, you, you don't know any better, right? So you, you, you keep going. Sure. And then the Star Trek game was great. It was my first attempt at an epic story. I came up with the idea of a space station in the middle of a nebula, unexplored space called the Lighthouse. And it was old, like super old, like a Stargate Atlantis style old. And the Federation was the new kid on the block. So they had their own thing, but so did the Ferengi. And so did, so everyone had their own sort of like section. It was kind of like, I realize now it was kind of like Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Hmm. Very kind of like that style where everything has its own sort of thing and it just kind of works. And that game too, like it was just, I, you know, like that was my, that was my lesson at, at don't start too big. That was what that was. <laughs> have your too big, but start itty bitty and work to that too big. Cause if you start at that too big, and then get down to your itty bitty mind mush all in between. There's just too much. <laughs> your brain just can't contain it. It can't. And you can't describe it to your players because they have no concept of what that big thing is. They don't see your big scale. They can only see what you present to them. Yeah. So if you present to them this one scenario and they don't do the way you need them to because it doesn't work with your big scene, you've done them and you a disservice. And I know that a lot of DMs work from outside in, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. But that's what that is, is you have your outside, and they work down to the small so that they can present that small without the players feeling like they need to see that outside. That was what that, that game was. Well, that's definitely a skill I haven't mastered yet either. Like going from the small, you mean, or going from the big to the small? Well, I mean, going from what the characters can see and going out from there is the only way that I've figured out how to run a good game. And I like that. I like that takeaway of GM Tim says, "Don't do a mind mush." <laughs> yeah, don't do a mind mush. Yeah, that's that's. We'll make that that episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's it's kind of true. Like, there's nothing wrong. So my newest concept, like the Eberron game that I told you about, I have to have the big. I have to know what the overall arc is, and I have to kind of pick and choose the chapters, and I have to make sure they weave together. But that doesn't mean that I can't allow my overall narrative to change. And that's kind of like the key thing. I learned, you know what? I just remembered one of the first games I played D&D in. I played D&D 3.5. I was a character and I had, I was a cleric. And the, and the guy who was my Yoda, he was playing too. And he was a paladin. And we played the, we were following the same god. 
And it was the God of Tanaka because his kid was playing with a big ass yellow Tonka truck in the middle of the room. So we're like, yeah, we're the God of a uh, shit. I don't know any of the forgotten realms cards. Tanaka. We're the God <laughs> of Tanaka. Our colors are yellow and black. We're built Ford tough, right? Like we just kind of went screwed. <laughs> like we just screwed with it. Like uh, we even played some, like our, our chant was pow, pow, power wheels, right? Like it was like, we didn't care that it wasn't real. We just played right into all of it. And we, we created this, entire new religion based on it. We would be in the middle of combat and according to the book of Tanaka, you were a bad thing that needs to die, right? And the, the DM was like, it's not real. It's like, no, but it is, sir, right? Like we would just, we would argue the DM in character. <laughs> but he he came, he had a great story, but it was his story. And that was the that was the biggest lesson I learned. He would come with books and it got to the point where, like he would come with an actual like written out adventure down to like the minutia and it got to the point where me and my yoda we could we knew what monsters we were fighting that week because we were just going through the book mm -hmm. it was almost in alphabetical order right so we knew this week was goblins oh that's giant bees great yeah dude. yeah <laughs> spent a long time in the yeah, giants right? i guess eh? yeah right so we had a giant bee sneak figure that one out how does a giant bee stealth you <laughs> <laughs> I can have it, right? Like, think actually think about this though. So, if I said right now, I know there's a bee in your studio because I can hear it. Both of you would go shit where because you would instantly know that you can also hear that bee. <laughs> it should right? sound like an Apache helicopter. So, thank you. So, if we're talking a giant damn wasp. I am knowing that this thing is coming. The only way it could stealth up on me if that bitch is walking and it was flying. So no, right? <laughs> At that point, it was like he, he didn't, he needed the story to happen the way that he wrote it because he couldn't allow it to not. Yeah. And, and that's okay because that's part of how we do adventure modules, right? And that's where I learned the key to running an adventure that's on tracks is to make sure that even though you're on tracks, the players choose which stations they get off at, and you have to allow for that. So you can keep them on a track, but they still get to choose the stations. And they will eventually get to the end of the line, but until they get to that end line, they still get to choose the stations. So you have to be willing and able to allow those stations to exist. And if you don't, you've done yourself a disservice because you're not going to be able to really play the game as a DM is supposed to play the game. We're no longer in the era of DM versus player. We're now in the era of DM and player, and we are all players, right? It even says that in all the books. One player is a dungeon master. Yeah. The rest of the players are characters. So we really have to really remember that when you're running a game. You are a player. So if you're not enjoying yourself, you need to figure out why. Are you not enjoying yourself because you don't want to be dungeon master anymore? Possibly. Um, are you not enjoying yourself because you don't want to be a player anymore? Possibly, right? Like, or a character anymore? That that might be it. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta really allow for those like those randomnesses to happen. And if you do have a giant wasp sneaking up on you, you've got to allow for a player to look at you and go, "Fuck no, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You see it coming. Don't worry about a surprise round, right?" Like, yeah, yeah, right on. What's uh, what does the future hold for GM Tim? Um, we want to take Quests and Queers, uh, which is the queer board gaming night. It has nothing to do with D&D, but it's a queer board gaming night that I run here in Vancouver once a month at each of the Stormcrow locations. I want to take that, and we want to take Fierce Adventures on tour. Oh, wonderful. Right now, we're trying to figure out a way to stream Fierce Adventures. I tried streaming before, and I realized that without the team that's needed to run a stream... There's no way that I can do it because I was worrying too much about the stream and not enough about the games I was running. And I, I couldn't, in the right mind, do that to my players anymore. So I've dropped all my streams because it's just far too much work. If I had like somebody who's willing to run streams for us, let me know. We can talk. But right now, I don't have the time or patience to do any of it. But we want to try and figure out a way to do the drag show because that one's a little bit different of a setup. But we don't know how we're getting around the music yet. You can't stream live music. You can't stream music. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the drag show is really important for that, right? So we have a couple ideas, but yeah, if we can figure out a way to stream it, then we can start doing like a, maybe a Kickstarter or GoFundUs or 
Kafifi doesn't seem like it'll cut the cut. So, <laughs> <laughs> not quite getting the taste. Plus, there's not many queens that drink coffee. It's more like uh, we need a wine wine now. <laughs> Let's go. Wine, yeah, we need wine, to- a wine a wine beer gin, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, if we can figure out a way to take that on the road, that's one of the kind of like really big goals. And I want to keep just doing more games. Personal, like little itty bitty kind of like ego pipe goal is I w- or pipe dream is I would love to run one of like the headline games for like i'd love to run a game for like all the dms like i would love to run a game for like matt mercer and jeremy crawford and chris perkins and if i could have them at my table i would be like it'd be pretty amazing like that's so that's kind of like that's kind of like my thing is i would love to do that and i want to write i want to write more i've got i got that D uh adventures league uh, brought me in to write an episode of theirs um, and for my first time out, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. It was a huge learning experience. Oh my god! Well, which, um, which one is that, so that people can find it? Um, it's Inferno Insurgency. It's then uh, season nine, episode six. For my first time out, it's like, yep, I could have done a better job, but I also could have been way worse. And I'm happy with like a first time out, right? Like I'm yeah. not gonna. I was beating myself up over it, and then I'm like, no, no, because it's not. It's not helpful. Instead of being myself up over it and being discouraged, I'm going to take everything that I learned and I'm going to apply it to my own game. So I put up my first Goblin Adventure uh, about a year ago. And after the writing the uh, Adventure League Adventure, I went back and I put a version 2 up. So it's a completely different game now. Oh. And the second edition to that one is coming out within the next month, if all goes well. And I want a series. It's called I Am Goblin and So Can You. <laughs> yeah. So the first episode is is you are level one and you're finding your mask. You've got to build your goblin mask, your team mask. So you as a group go out and find the different parts from the different monsters you need to defeat in the trials to to build your mask. And then the adventure I'm working on right now is against the great beast, just terrorizing the goblin village. Um, and that one's almost done. And then I've got three, four, and five planned. And I'm going to do like up levels. So level one, level three probably level six and then i think level nine and 12. That's and that awesome. way you have lots of space for it as a dm to like maneuver throughout so if you want to have a full adventure you can and if you don't it's not such big jumps that a player who's kind of learning as they go can't keep up with their character as they're playing plus the idea let's be honest of a goblin at level 20 is awesome <laughs> it <Okay>. really is <laughs> I can't wait to try that out because I've always wanted like a side, you know, when when one or two people are missing from your regular group, I've always wanted like a goblin adventure to play on the side. So I think that'll work perfectly. I think we should start doing that. <laughs> not not to like, I'm really bad at tooting my own horn. I, I, I always worried that I sound like I'm, <laughs> well, <laughs> let me tell you, right? Like, um, but uh, it's got it's got everything you need. It's got the it's got six goblins. It's got the goblin class. I made a new goblin race, and it's got two-ish, three-ish hour adventure with a little bit of session zero tossed in for good measure. Yeah. Well, anything else that uh, you'd like to kind of shout out or make mention of? Um, you can follow me on like all the twitters and instagrams and social medias i'm not on tiktok because i should not be (laughs) maybe for me maybe playing with makeup i might be on tiktok but that would just be (laughs) awkward no um i'm kind of on facebook uh there's a disc i've got a discord chat so if you want to join the discord the gm tim uh let me know and i'll send you a link and all right, so we should be right on time. Go to Kickstarter and 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 make sure that I'm going to be doing a stretch goal for the ultimate guide to hair. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so C- Celeste Conowich and and uh, uh, oh my god, <laughs> Neil Powell, Jesus <laughs> from uh, DM's Block. They're doing a uh, a D and D supplement that's all about hair. <laughs> and, uh, and and I am one of the Kickstarter stretch goals, and I got some pretty fun stuff in there. I can't. I'm not going to tell you. Just <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> it's pretty. I had a lot of fun coming up with these, and I know that I know that they had a lot of fun coming up. with like, there's there's character classes. There's like uh, uh, traits. There's creatures. There's feats. There's like it's just nuts. Spells. I, they've got spells. I'm like, yeah. 
It's the supplement I had no idea that I needed in my life. <laughs> but now that I've said it, you can't think of anything but, right? No. Like, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's so amazing. Like, yeah. I want to do that session zero, though. Like, okay, guys, this one is about hair. <laughs> it's about hair. <laughs> like, it's Oh, my God. It's going to be so good. You know, my next game that I really want to run is I want to run an all bard game. And I'm 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 not even kidding you. I'm watching old episodes of Gem so that I can like steal plot lines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> band off. <laughs> it's gonna be horrible, and I can't wait. <laughs> I feel like that's the peak of D and D. Sometimes is an all bard game. Yeah, but every it's one of those things where everyone talks about, but I've never seen anyone. And I'm like, I'm fully committed. Yeah. I really so. I'll put this out there. If you find five musicians, actual musicians, I'll run a bard game from them and we'll make music while we do it. There's actually a podcast here that does that. Stew Pop does it for uh, D&D punks. Or D- Dungeon punks? Dungeon punks. They Dungeon actually punks, play yeah. their own music as they're doing it. They're not all bards, though, but I think we could totally do that. That's super cool. That's amazing. Right? That's I think that'd be album. a lot of fun. Yeah. I dabble yeah. on the ukulele and guitar, so I'll have to work on that. I'm the level one bird that never gets yeah. to level two. <laughs> well, yes, the ultimate guide to hair is on Kickstarter right now, and you're probably going to have to hurry your butts up and go and back it. You have to back it just out of the curiosity of what is going to yeah. be in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't, if you missed it, go buy it because it's awesome. Yeah. It'll still exist. <laughs> Thanks for being such a helpful guide to us and to the listeners. Like you keep talking about your Yoda, but thanks for being our Yoda for this episode. I feel like we absorbed a lot. <laughs> you made me blush. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> and giggle. Double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be Yoda. I want to be Obi-Wan. He's cuter. <laughs> this is true. Woo-hoo! Okay, so thanks again for joining us, GM Tim. And thanks to Tabletop Audio for all of the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Discord, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> places. Places. So many places. And Tim, if you want to join us on this one, thanks, thanks for, for listening. Thanks for listening. And, and play, play great all games. the figments of your imagination. <laughs> <laughs>